Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Run Out Radio. I'm Jerry Forsyth, alongside Mike Howerton. As always, we're brought to you by Border Billiards, OBQs, Predator Cues, and Tiger Products, and we're happy to be with you once again. Mike and I have just returned from Fujara and the World 8-Ball Championships. We'll be talking about that momentarily. We've also got a couple of special guests for you today that you're really going to enjoy. We have our brand newly crowned eight-ball champion of the world, Ralph Souquet, as well as the winner of the event this past weekend in Phoenix, Johnny Archer. So stay with us for those interviews. First, uh, Mike, we had quite a trip to the United Arab Emirates. Yeah, we did. Uh, is your sleep schedule on a, on a U.S. schedule yet? Well, I'm still kind of in a walking fog, but uh, I'll get over that if I can take enough melatonin. Yeah, well, uh, a tournament like that will do it. Um, you've been to this event, you said, seven times in the past, so mm -hmm. you knew what to expect. I had no idea. Well, you had to be totally overwhelmed by the hospitality. We had a crew member with us there, uh, Alvin Nelson, who is our fantastic videographer and video editor. And Alvin had an impacted wisdom tooth. As soon as our host found out about it, they rushed him off to a dentist and did whatever they could to take care of him. Um, they even bought him a, a, a local garb. So certainly no shortcoming in the hospitality uh, field. No, and... You know, this is really, the, the last six months or so is really my first experience out there with international events, but this event was head and shoulders above anything that I've ever experienced before. The, you know, the BCA event, the Enjoy Pool, Generation Pool, etc. you know, it, it's a very professional event and it has its own feel to it. And, and the U.S. Open is a different event. It has its own feel. And, and Derby City is, of course, Derby City. But this World 8-Ball Championship, I mean, they took absolute great care of us. The location, uh, so close to the beach, um, it, it was just, I mean, the, the presentation... Uh, of the trophies and the medals and the dinner that they had there midway through it was just amazing. And the, the kickoff ceremony with the, the belly dancer and, and the whole nine yards, it, <laughs> it just, I mean, every day there was something new going on. And I mean, my, my thought would be that any fan of pool should, should try to get out to this event and, and watch it. But this isn't like, you know, an event that Joe Fan is going to spend five thousand dollars to to go experience, but players, on the other hand, who have never been to an event like this, they really should go. They absolutely should. You know, the thing that, that gets me about this event is is how the players are treated. Every night, they had a catered in dinner at the venue for the players and the press, we must add, that had seven main courses. You had your choice of seven main courses. You could mix or match whatever you wanted to eat, salads, breads, appetizers, a tremendous array of desserts, my belly is sad to say. <laughs> and you know, no, no other tournament in the world 
treats the players this way. Uh, they're 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 brought to the venue. They're only asked to play one or two matches a day. The rest of the time, they can just take it easy. And they're given these fantastic meals. It's um, it's just a joy to behold the way that everyone is treated at this event, this World Eight Ball event. They they we 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 interviewed the committee members who put this thing on. And the reason this thing is such a success is they have over 100 people working for a year in advance to make this event a success. They have 20 people working on just the opening ceremony, which you mentioned, you know, the belly dancers and the the flame eater, the fire eaters and, and everything we saw there. Fantastic hour-long show in an outdoor amphitheater. They work harder at it than anyone else in the world, and that's why it is such a success. Well, and sixty thousand for first place isn't all that shabby either. No, no, it's not. I mean, everybody who played cashed, but you know, if you went to and out in the group stages, you probably didn't earn enough money to pay you know, the expense of flying out there. But, you know, if you're a top player, let's say you're a top 10 player in the U.S. and you're invited to an event like this, I think you have to attend. I mean, eight ball is a different game than nine ball. So if you're not an eight ball player, you're not a shoe in to be in the top eight or something like that. But for the experience alone, I think it's a must-see event for a, for a top player. And with the stipend that the American players were given to attend from the BCA, if you won just one event, I mean, excuse me, just one of your of your matches, you covered your travel expense. Right. And and you got to experience <laughs> this experience. So uh, worth the worth the consideration for any American player in the future. Yeah. Um, the play was also at, at an extreme high level. Um, I mean, I've I've attended IPT events. I mean, they're playing the same game. You know, they're playing big table eight ball. But the level of play, in my opinion, at this event was higher than that of an IPT event. Um, watching a player like Ralph Souquet play, it's interesting how you go... I mean, of course, there's a huge difference in the ability level of an average player and a Ralph Souquet, but... Sorry. You know, your average player playing eight ball looks to get an angle on a cluster so they can bust that cluster open. And then as they get better, they they figure out that the speed they go into that cluster will help them, you know, because it gives them an idea how far away balls are going to travel after you break the cluster open. But seeing a player of, of Ralph's ability who will shoot a breakout a different way for example, I don't need to come off of this ball and go directly into the cluster. Instead, I want to hit the rail three inches in front of the cluster with inside spin to come at it because it's going to break it open better that way. It's truly a pleasure to watch the game of eight ball played at that level. Absolutely. He's not trying to hit, for instance, the three ball in that cluster. He's trying to hit the top side of the three ball in that cluster so that the cluster comes apart properly for him and that was one of the things that i really enjoyed watching this week also was how these guys tore the problems apart very 
systematically, and you could tell the fellas who played straight pool because they're used to doing that. Yeah, I can only imagine that the kind of play that we saw was similar to that that fans used to see at major straight pool tournaments. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the extra edge that having a world title attached to your tournament gives, um, that really lets the players catch another gear. Oh, yeah. And, and they did. I mean, Ralph played great. Ronnie Alcano, watching Ronnie play, I mean, there were a couple of matches there where he just played at a level above anyone in the room. Oh, I saw some shots come out of Alcano's queue that I still cannot believe. Um, that, well, there's no way to describe it here, but he, he shot such a thin cut that went uh, five diamonds, six diamonds, <laughs> sliding right up the rail into the corner pocket, and nobody thought he was going to make this. Everybody in the room thought he was going to bank that ball. Yeah. But that wouldn't have given him the shape he needed. And it was, well... It, it, it just can't be described what we saw him do all week. Well, and, and that's part of the interest of eight ball, because when you're down to your last couple of balls in nine ball, you know, if you don't get the right shape on the ball, okay, maybe you have to bank the ball or maybe you have to play a safety. You run six balls in eight ball and you don't get the right shape on the eight, you've lost the game. You're had. Yeah. However, however, we saw Ronnie Alcano run all of his balls, get down to the eight ball, and he was completely snookered on the eight. There was a full ball between him and the eight. So what does he do? He lines up a kick shot, calls the corner pocket, and kicks a ball off of the out of the center of the table into the corner pocket, and it never touched a jaw. It went right in the heart of the pocket. Yeah. I mean, Ronnie would have definitely been a deserving champion, and Ralph beating him in the finals, considering that that crowd was so... Not just the Filipino fans were not just cheering the Filipino players, they were cheering Ronnie. He had won that event last year, and in the semifinals, when he played uh, Dennis Orcoyo, they wouldn't cheer Dennis at all. The, the one time they cheered Dennis is when he broke dry because they wanted Ronnie right. to come back. Absolutely, and Ronnie made a comment about I mean, uh, uh, Dennis made a comment about that, about how brutal it is when your own people cheer when you break dry. Well, we will talk to Ralph about that event in just a moment. We're also going to be talking to Johnny Archer about another event that was going on this past weekend, and that was in your backyard while you were away. Yeah, I only wish I could have been there to see it. Uh, first time we've had a pro event in Phoenix for close to 10 years, and I'm off on the other side of the world with you traipsing around in uh, Fujara watching guys play eight ball. But... Yes, Johnny Archer won the UPA Desert Shootout. Um, Johnny lost to Mika for the hot seat and went over the one lost side, beat Mike Davis. Uh, I was told that Mike was playing some great pool, uh, and he came out strong against Johnny, and Johnny came back and beat him, and then Johnny beat Mika in the finals. But I'm sorry, he beat, beat Mika twice. Yeah, he beat Mika twice in the finals. I find it interesting that there were a couple international players in this. You know, Mika was there, Efren was there, Perica was there, but it was won by a U.S. player, which that doesn't happen a whole lot. 
not lately, but Johnny's been really hot this year. I mean, if you look at his record, um, Yuma will be facing Johnny Archer this year. No, absolutely not, especially not late in a tournament. I do think that uh, kudos have to go out. Again, although I wasn't there, uh, I mean, it's the Phoenix pool scene, and if there's any pool scene out there that everyone chatters away more about what's going on behind the scenes than Phoenix, I don't know where it is, but... uh, I think kudos need to be given out not only to our friend Jay Helfert for running a great tournament, but also to the owners of Colby's Corner Pocket in Tempe. Um, My understanding is something came up with the uh, expected venue. You know, the event was supposed to take place at a hotel here in Phoenix, and late in the 11th hour, something happened with that venue, and the promoter basically had no place to hold the event, and Colby stepped up and installed bleachers within a day or two, uh, moved out a bunch of bar boxes, and they held a fantastic tournament. I mean, that Colby's has done this in the past. When, when I was running a tour out here, and one of the rooms was balking a little bit at the event, Colby said, not a problem, just run it here. And the tour that I ran out here included a straight pool event and a one-pocket event, and those are not money makers for rooms. And they both, both of those events, Colby said, we'll take them. Uh, it's new owners over there, and I think they're just going out of their way to make sure that Colby's is uh, a spot on the pool map again. Well, Mike, I think we've kept uh, Ralph Suquet holding long enough. Uh, shall we talk to our good German friend? I think we shall. Ralph, are you there? Yes. Hi, guys. How are you doing? We're doing real good. First, congratulations, Ralph, on winning the World 8-Ball Championship. Uh, have you come down from that high as yet? Well, first of all, thank you very much. And uh, to be honest, I don't even think I've realized yet what happened just just a few days ago. Because as soon as well, I, you know, came came back home, I had to do just some regular office work, and I'm still actually working on that. So uh, yeah, because of that, I haven't really had enough time to let it sink and uh, actually, you know, just. Uh, yeah, let it sink in and, and and celebrate a lot. Well, so just just to recap for everyone, you played a final match against Ronnie Alcano, and this was a rematch, really, of the finals in the 2006 World Nine Ball Championship. That one went the other way. Alcano won that one. And this one could have gone the other way because really the circumstances were similar. Once again, he had the crowd in his favor because the crowd was loaded up with Filipinos and they were cheering loudly his every move. Did that present a problem for you at all? Um, No, not really. I mean, I knew that the situation would have been quite similar to Manila two years ago, but... uh, you know the the fact that uh, first of all it was or not that many people showed up for this event then uh, in Manila in Manila I think we were like close to fifteen hundred or two thousand and I think yeah. in Fujera I mean I didn't count them but I would say roughly 
I don't know, maybe three, four hundred the most, mm -hmm. if that many. And uh, <clears throat> well, I think the people in the Philippines, they are, or the ones that still live there, they are probably more pool enthusiasts, and they have, have probably a little more knowledge about the game than the ones that live uh, outside of the country, which, uh, you know, of course doesn't make uh, a big difference, but uh, you, can, you can see, or I actually felt it throughout the week, that whenever I played against the Filipino, and even though I made some great shots, uh, they never actually clapped for me at all, not, not once. So they were just cheering for, you know, their countrymen. And, uh, but on, on the other hand, this, this made me feel like, uh, yeah, well, they're just here to, to cheer their countrymen on, and it's not really like, they don't, they don't really understand much of the game. And that's what made it, in my opinion, a little easier for me. I just, you know, wanted to, you know, focus on my game and focus on, on my target. Right. And that's probably the, not the reason, but at least one good reason why I why it didn't affect me at all. Ralph, I was uh, I was sitting in the media room during most of the finals, and right next to the media room was the little cafeteria area that had been set up for the players. Now, I don't know if you saw that room prior to the finals, but it was packed with Filipino fans, and it stayed awfully quiet. I can imagine that uh, the fans probably couldn't get in your head a whole lot uh, during the finals because, really, I mean, you came out on fire right off the bat and took control of the match early. I mean, how important was it for you to do that to keep the fans out of it? Well, it was definitely very important, even though I lost the uh, the lag, which, you know, was actually not a good thing to happen because in an alternate breaking system, you know, when it comes down to the last last game, you know, you definitely want to have the, the break. But, uh, yeah, I could, you know, capitalize from two or three, you know, dry breaks from him at the beginning, and I, you know, just totally took control and took advantage, one on two of his uh, breaks and, you know, brought my service through as well. So being in a, in a 3-0 lead was, uh, was a very, very good start and put definitely the pressure on him. We talked prior to the finals and we kind of joked a little bit that the World 8-Ball Championship was one of the titles that you had never won. I can't imagine that there are a lot of goals left in your career that you have not achieved uh, this one being one of them do you still have goals that that you still hope to achieve in your career oh absolutely i mean first of all i definitely want to win the world nine ball championships again i mean i i came close a couple of times already and uh, so i've been to the finals three times i won it once lost it twice and uh this year we're also going to have, for the first time ever, a World 10-Ball Championship. So that's also one of my goals. It doesn't have to be this year. Obviously, I would, I would take it. But this is definitely on my list to, uh, to win the World 10-Ball Championships one day. And even straight pool could be a target or a goal that I'm, I'm really looking forward to, even though 
in the last four or five years, I haven't really practiced the game enough to play it well enough. But I'm, I'm quite sure at one point I'll, I'll get get there where I really work on my Straple game again, and then uh, the Straple World Title would be or will be another goal that I would like to achieve before I end my career. I had spoke to Nils uh, prior to one of his matches in Fujara, and he had said that his straight pool play had helped him a great deal in his eight ball game last week. Uh, but you say you haven't practiced straight pool very much. Um, do you play a lot of eight ball? I mean, I, I know you've done very well this year in nine ball events, but I mean, how do you prepare for an event like that that is in a discipline that I would imagine you don't play all that often? Um, I used to play 8-ball quite a lot when I was still playing in the German league, but I haven't done this for the last four years, and that's the reason why I didn't really practice or play a lot of 8-ball, except for the European Championships or the German Championships. Well, I started working on my eight ball game again when the IPT started, you know, a couple of years ago. And uh, by doing that, I did a, a high run of 27 wrecks in eight ball off the break. Wow. Which uh, surprised, you know, which surprised me also because the... The high run in April used to be 13 for me before that. And um, so I, I've really worked on, on April just you know prior to the start of the IPT. But uh, since the IPT is no longer there, or I mean it is still there, but there's actually there are, there are no tournaments happening for me right now or no events. So therefore, uh, I consider it uh, to be over. But uh, yeah, besides that, I mean, just the preparation for the IPT that was the, the last real good preparation uh, in April. But of course, you know, coming to the world's April championships to Fujera, I, you know, did one week of only playing April and, you know, just just trying to run out as, as many games as possible because this is uh, actually what it comes down to. I mean, you've got to make a ball on the break and then you have to run out. And that's that's all that that counts, especially in the in an alternate break format. And uh, April is my favorite game, always was. But obviously, over the years, they have changed the rules and to make April a bit like nine ball, just you know, made it faster. And so the strategic part of it was taken away. And uh, therefore, obviously, and you know, I, I changed more to nine ball, and of course, you know, 98% of all events are played in nine ball, and obviously, that's that's the reason why my nine ball game is, you know, it's easier to to find the gear, or it's easier to get back into than than eight ball. Yeah, Ralph, um, about two thirds of the way through the match, there, the final match in Fujiara, um, your chair had a surprise for you. <laughs> Could you tell us about that? Yeah, well, I mean, I was, I think it was in game or right before game 20. I think the score was 10-9, and I uh, I went to the 
<clears throat> to the table and uh, check the rack, but uh, I wasn't uh, happy with the the rack, and I told the referee to re-rack him. So I you know, went back to the chair and wanted to sit down. Yeah, and all of a sudden uh, the chair broke, <laughs> so that I went through the part where you actually sit on. This part <laughs> just went through the frame, and I was sitting like you know, 20 to 25 inches further down, basically hanging in the in the chair with my feet up in the air, you know, towards the, the ceiling. And uh, I mean, at first it was kind of a shock, and like after a few seconds, uh, I started to realize that I actually had hurt my back because uh -oh. it's my back, uh, you know, hit the, the frame of the chair, which is, well, which was uh, solid wood. And, uh, and it actually, you know, like, for like one, two, three minutes, I had, you know, just a hard time to, you know, get back into the focus of the of the game, of the match. But uh, luckily, you know, I, I survived those uh, two, three minutes, and I could, you know, I had a good break and then ran out that that particular game and to, you know, go in the 11-9 lead. Which takes me to an interesting place because. Not many players have the mental strength to have a chair collapse on them and then get up and break and run the next rack. But you have long been known for your your, your mental power, your, your ability to stay focused and, and stay in the game. Um, so I have a couple of, of questions for you. Mm -hmm. One, an intermediate player who wants to become better and wants to improve the mental aspect of his game, do you have any general advice that you give to players like that? Um, well, of course, it's hard to give a general advice, but uh, one thing is stay focused on what is important. In my case, or in that case, of course, it was important to try to stay in the game just just focus on breaking the balls making a ball on a break and running out if you let yourself distract by the audience by phones that go off in the audience or television cameras or whatever could distract you then you are obviously not really in the zone, you're not really focused enough and not concentrated enough. So this is something that I um, didn't really work on it, but I just tried to you know, teach myself to don't let bother me or um, let, let, me, let me start over again. I just you know, basically you know, told myself, don't let anything besides the pool table and the balls get into your mind while you are trying to do what you do for a living. Of course, not all the time it's, uh, you are, you're happy with what, what happens because sometimes you are just not really focused enough because you may have problems in your private life or just certain things don't go your way. And whenever other things bother you, that's usually the reason that you're not really focused and concentrated enough. So it, it, it takes a while 
to get to this, you know, particular um, part of of your game where you can actually like click everything away and you just see a table and the balls and you know whatever is important to be focused on. Well, I've noticed over the years that you rarely watch your opponent while he's at the table. Is there a motive in that? Um, well, there are two reasons for it. One reason is I rather, you know, watch somewhere else and try to not watch my opponent because, you know, sometimes when, when you watch your opponent, you start thinking about his game. Mm-hmm. Or think, especially in 8-ball. I mean, in 9-ball, it's not really... There's, there, there are not too many options to think about because, you know, you play number by number and you know the... You know the order. You just here and there may go one or three rails or whatever. But in April, for example, you have I don't know six, seven, maybe ten different ways to clean the table. And when you start watching your opponents, then you obviously start using energy of how would I play this table. And then when when your opponent plays a totally different. It could be good for you because then you think, hmm, he's playing it wrong. And uh, you, that makes you feel maybe better or even stronger. But if he still runs out and maybe he plays even two, three bad positions or maybe even gets lucky on one or two positions, that could actually ruin your strength and ruin your your positive thinkings. And that's 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 the main reason why I don't want to watch my opponents, you know. Okay. On the other hand, here and there, or in most tournaments, you actually have to watch your opponent because if you don't play with a referee, you better, you know, watch what what he's doing because you know he may make a foul or or do something that is not legal. So then you have to be to be ready and or call a referee before the shot. But if you don't pay attention, then obviously, uh, you know, he can do whatever he wants to do. So that, that that's okay. a, a reason why I like playing with referees because then you don't have to pay attention what your opponent is doing and you can right. concentrate and focus on your own game and just do whatever you want to do just to stay that way. Okay, one more follow-up and then I'll let Mike back into this. Um, your pre-shot routine that you go through between shots mm-hmm. uh, is, of course, what affects your pace. And you are not known as the fastest player in the world. You are known as one who is rather methodical, who takes his time. Mm-hmm. And yet, when in a tournament where they put you on a shot clock, you show the ability to play just as well under a 30 or 45 second shot clock. At least I don't notice any degradation in your game under a shot clock. That being the case, why is your pace what it is? Um, the, there are two things why... Let, let's put it that way. If every player has to play the same speed according to the rules, yeah. I believe that in the long run, players will make mistakes, no matter who is playing, just due or just because of the shot clock. 
um, maybe in eight out of ten matches, I still come ahead as the winner because I can I can adopt to that particular time frame maybe quicker than the majority. I mean, of course, the top 20, 30 players, they all have the same ability. But I also know that as soon as the shot clock is there, every player gets under pressure, no matter if he's a fast or a slow player. If there is no shot clock, everybody feels free, and he, he still may only use, I don't know, 15 to 20 seconds. But when the shot clock is there, every player feels that pressure. And I think that I can handle that pressure probably better than most others. The reason why I usually take some more time is I rather think out the two, three, or maybe more options and want to pick the right one. When you are playing with a shot clock, you don't have the time to go through all those options. So you have to you have to think about what is the what comes in mind first and with that option you have to go because there's just not enough time to think about the second or the third option. One last question about the event in Fujara. Um, <clears throat> you seem to have a, a very good relationship with the organizers of that event. Can you make any comments as to what they have created in the eight years that that event has been ran and what you feel it means to the the world pool scene? Well, I mean, every single year they are improving in any circumstance. I mean, whatever they do, they get better and better every year. Of course, if you have never been there before and you come to this event for the first time, you may be, uh, you may think that this event is not really well organized because, of course, there are still things that are not the same than when you go to a tournament in the United States or somewhere else in the Western world. <clears throat> the Arabs, they have a different kind of approaching life. Like, you know, I mean, if they say, yeah, we're going to do this, you know, it's going to take 10 minutes or we're going to do it in 10 minutes, it usually means, or it turns out to be like, it's probably going to take an hour or it's going to you know, take an hour before we even start doing something. <laughs> when I went there for the first time, it really frustrated me and my whole schedule was like off and whatever I did was went wrong, so I was kind of uh, you know, in a bad mood about it. But when you go there you know, the second, the third time, then you start realizing that this is just the way they live and their whole life goes. And if you know that in advance and you just, you know, prepare yourself for it and you go there and, you know, whatever happens, you just think, yeah, well, this is normal here, so this is this is part of the whole show, then, uh, then you are in a way better position. And that's why I, you know, wasn't really surprised in a bad way this year because I knew what was coming and I saw it as you know a natural thing and and that's why I really uh, you know I'm, I'm looking forward to go back there and to, to defend my title and maybe even play other events in, in that country. 
I wanted to touch on something along the lines of what Jerry had asked you about, uh, your demeanor during matches. Having watched a number of your matches, I've watched you, you might make a mistake here and there, and you'll beat yourself up, you're, you'll beat yourself up over that mistake, just like any other player, but it doesn't seem to last very long. You get right back into a, a controlled, focused state of mind. Now, on the other hand, when you win the event, you're beginning to become more and more known for that, that celebration, that outburst, that pouring out of emotion uh, when you make that final ball. Is that emotion thing there at the end, I mean, is that your way of, of releasing all those frustrations that you obviously didn't have the time to really deal with during the match? I mean, can you talk a little bit about that? It, it seems to be a different celebration than some of the other players go through. Well, um, let, let's put it that way. I, um, when I won, or when I did win tournaments, let's say five, six, seven years ago, I was more of a of a quiet winner, and I and I'm still after, you know, preliminary round wins or, or when we talk like you know the first or two, three stages of the knockout uh, stages. But uh, yeah, in the last. I don't know, two, three, four years maybe, I, you know, I changed a bit. And, you know, people always thought that, you know, when I win a tournament that uh, this must be so normal for me that I don't even uh, show any emotions or that I'm not even happy about it, which is not true. I just know, you know, when, when you are a very successful player over a decade or two, then, you know, there are not too many people actually rooting for you or not too many people actually uh, showing that they are happy with you. So I always thought, yeah, well, I just, just keep it to myself and, uh, you know, and I, and I can celebrate back home with, with my friends that, are, that really are happy with me. And, uh, well, but on the other hand, also in the last whatever, how many years, you know, people started um, talking more to me. I mean, I've, I've always been an open-minded uh, player and guy. Whenever somebody comes up to me, I'll talk to him and I'll, you know, I laugh and do, you know, just normal things. But uh, other people always thought that I'm, like, really quiet, that I don't talk to people and this and that. And, you know, I, I just... I just open up maybe a little more to the to the rest of the the players and the fans, and they have realized that, and so they are you know showing more emotions when I win, and they are also more happy for me when I win, and, uh, and this is just something to you know to to give it back to them and uh, to show them that I that I'm still happy to win an event, no matter how big or how small it is. And of course, when you play in an event and things are not really going your way, you start you know, building up some frustration maybe here and there, and you know, you, you deal with it a little bit, and you, know, you just try to ignore it and just try to you know, kind of digest it. And, uh, but when you finally win a, a big event and you... You know, that's that's a good way of letting it out, as you have already 
mention it and you know it just it's like a like a big relief and it's yeah it's just so so nice to to let it out then you know and that's what i've you know what i've changed a bit over the last three years or so it seems the last few years that people who lose their first round matches tend to turn it around and come back and win the championship. Daryl Peach lost his first round match at, at the nine ball in Manila, World Nine Ball. You lost your first round match at Vajera, uh to Jeff DeLuna. Mm-hmm. And yet, many players, when they lose a first round match, they get depressed and they kind of wash out of the tournament fairly early. But you champions seem to have a way of, of rallying past an early loss. Is that something conscious that you do or is it just in your nature well i mean um nobody likes losing and i i'm not going to a tournament uh to lose my first round match but if it happens obviously i want to stay in there as long as possible so i'm not going to give up after a first round loss and you know tell myself yeah well i don't care anymore and i'm just going to go home after I lose my second match, and I mean, this is already, then you, you have already lost your your next match, if you think like that. I mean, I always go to tournaments, and I want to win it. And no matter when or if I lose a match, there's always a chance to win the tournament, because um, I know that I've, I've won so many events over the last two decades, and, you know, some you win from the winner's side, some you win from the loser's side, of course, it's easier to win it from the winner's side because you know you usually play only half as many matches. But for example, in the World Apple Championships, you know you, you just play a double elimination system within the group of eight players. So it was just you know one more match to win. I mean, I had to win two more, but you know if I would have won the first, I would have only needed one more match to qualify, and now I still needed two. So for me, basically, the, the tournament just started after the first loss. And uh, uh, who knows? I mean, it turned out to be great like that. You know, you see Jeff DeLuna beat me in the first round, and he didn't even make it to the to the knockout stages. So he, right. he got the tougher, the tougher route by beating me because then he had to play Warren Kiamko and lost to him, and I don't know who who actually knocked him out. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it just showed that, uh, you know, our group was tough to start with. I mean, I was one of the seeded players, and I had to play a qualifier, which, you know, everybody knows by now that, you know, if you draw a qualifier in a pool event, it doesn't mean you're going to get an easy draw. Right. And, uh, you know, to to get Jeff DeLuna as a startup in the World Championships, I mean, of course. I mean, I mean, in a world championship event, there should be just great players. But there are certainly a few players from some countries that are probably a little easier to play than uh, a guy like Jeff DeLuna. Yes, but <laughs> think about how the guys feel who look at the board and see their name opposite Ralph Souquet. That's yeah, got I mean, to be about the roughest thing that can hit you, you know? <laughs> of course, I, I guess there are not too many players that uh, want to play Rasuke first round, of course, but uh, what do they have to lose, on the other hand? I mean, the only guy 
that that can lose is is a player like me. I mean, you know, you got maybe ten, twelve, or maybe sixteen players with with really really big names and that you know that are seeded and usually only those players have something to lose. There's somebody that that comes as a qualifier or as a as a player that with not such a big name, they can only win. They have nothing to lose. So it's it's always harder for us, you know, to go into an event like that. Even though uh, other players may think about this a little different, but I think it like that and I'm and I'm probably probably right about it. Ralph, recently the the voting was done for uh, the BCA Hall of Fame, and next year uh, you will be eligible for the Hall of Fame. But unfortunately, going back to big names, uh, Johnny Archer and Allison Fisher are also eligible at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. While there's certainly no doubt that you are going to be inducted into the Hall of Fame. What are your thoughts on knowing that at most two people are going in and there's three very deserving names coming up on the ballot next year? Well, to be honest, I don't even think about it. I, I know it's a, it's a very big thing in the United States. And of course, you know, me as a, a pool player that has played very, very often in the United States, of course, it is one. I'm, I'm not even saying it's one of my goals, but uh, because it, it's not in my hands to uh, to achieve that. So it's only in, in the hands of the industry and whoever actually votes the players into the Hall of Fame. But I don't. I don't even think about it too much because I mean, you know, time will will show it. And if I'm not in it in the next five years. Well, maybe in 10 years or whenever. Or if I'm never going to be in the Hall of Fame, that's fine too. I mean, I'm, it's not like that I'm going to that I'm going to cry about it. It's you know, it's. I think it's just a matter of time that it will happen. And uh, if it happens next year, it's great. But I don't think about it. And so uh, there are so many great players out there, and that are probably older and or even more successful than. Than I, than I am, or I, or they were more successful, whatever. So there are so many players out there that deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. So you know, I don't mind being in there in ten years from now on. That's that's absolutely fine with me. Okay, last question. Um, while congratulations are definitely in order for. Uh, the performance that you've had so far this year on the table, I understand that congratulations are in order for something much bigger that happened off the table. Uh, I understand you got married recently. Yes, yeah. Uh, Illy and I got married on uh, February 8th, 2008. It was a very, very small and private ceremony, so to speak. Only my parents and uh, Two of our neighbors, you know, were at the wedding, and that's exactly how we or how I wanted it, because I've, you know, I've been married before twice, and I didn't want to have like a big party and you know, big uh, thing about it. We do gonna have a little celebration party somewhere, you know, in 
sometime in 2008. We haven't decided yet when, because uh, it's also going to be my 40th birthday this year. And now with the 8-ball title, I have to celebrate that also somehow, sometime. So, uh, yeah, we haven't decided when we're going to do it, but uh, it was definitely another big step in my life that I, you know, got married again, and I'm really, really, really happy about it. And she she remembers you from tournament to tournament with all the traveling that you do. She doesn't, you don't come home and she wants to know who you are and that sort of thing? No, she's, she's very easy about it. I mean, she she knew what was coming and we, you know, we talked about it and she never, ever, you know, had a problem with it. And she actually, you know, sends me out to the pool room and tells me, you got to practice, you got to practice because there's, you know, another tournament coming up. When I say, yeah, I'd rather stay home and, you know, spend some time with you or whatever. So, I mean, she, she really, you know, backs me and, and gives me all the, the strength and the power to, you know, to focus on whatever I, you know, do best and whatever my job is. I mean, if, if I'm happy, if, if I'm successful and make enough money, then uh, she'll be happy too, you know. And that's, that's, that's the main thing, because if, if I don't make enough money, then usually, you know, the, the trouble starts. <laughs> well, Ralph, congratulations again, both on and off the table. And we Thank really you. do appreciate your time that you spent with us today. And Mike and I look forward to seeing you back in action again very soon. Thanks, and uh, we will see you down the road. All right. Well, thanks a lot, and I hope I'll see you guys in Vegas for the Whirlpool Masters or for the Predator Tenball event. Well, Ralph, obviously uh, <laughs> in pretty good spirits, uh, having just won a world championship and adding that to his crown. And uh, frankly... He was the underdog in that final, Mike. Everybody I talked to pretty much put a line on uh, Ronnie at 13-11, uh, 13-10. They knew it was going to be close, but they didn't really expect uh, uh, Ronnie to fall. Uh, Ralph, you got to give him credit. That guy has really got a powerful cue and even more a powerful mind that drives that cue. Well, I mean, we've talked about it on this show before, and Ralph is... The phrase that comes to mind the most is he is the consummate professional. Uh, he doesn't get caught up in the stuff going on around the tournament. He is there for one thing. He's there to play in a tournament. And he knows that he is a professional pool player and, and all of the things that go with it, the the interviews and the, you know, the, the appearance. I mean, he was there at the dinner wearing the traditional garb of the, uh, the Arabs. Ralph is, is just a different style of, of professional pool player, and I think he's a good thing. I couldn't help but uh, chuckle a little bit when he mentioned that he used to play League 8 ball. I know the BCA tournament is coming up. I can't even imagine what it'd be like to show up for your match and find out you're playing the German team with Ralph Suquet on it. <laughs> Indeed. Hey, uh, we've got another uh, consummate professional on the line. We've got Johnny Archer waiting to talk to us. How about we... Uh have a little talk with Johnny. I'm ready. Johnny, are you on the line with us? I am here, sir. Hey, Johnny Archer, you're having a pretty darn good year, fella. Well, not too bad. A lot better than last year. Well, let me recap 
for folks what's happened for you this year. You started out a little slow at Derby City Classic. Still got a top 20, but that's uh, not as good as you had expected. Then you went on to a second-place finish at a great Southern Billiard Tour uh, ring game, and you won the great Southern Billiard Tour stop. Then from there you went on to win Turning Stone Classic number 10, Straight from there, you went off and you won the Jay Swanson Memorial. Then you had three top ten finishes in a row at the UPA Pro Players Championship, the Seminole Florida uh, Pro Tour, another great Southern Billiard Tour stop. And then just this past weekend, you took down and won the UPA Desert Shootout. Uh, Yeah, I ended up uh, doing real well. I ended up uh, real happy with uh, the way I'm playing this year. It seems like... uh, I don't know, it just seems like things are coming together a lot better for me. Well, a good friend of yours tells me that you've fallen in love with practicing again and that you're really working hard on your game. Seems like, well, I got me a new table. You know, I got me a bronze or gold crown five, and I got four and a quarter inch pockets. Uh, so I Ooh. got them cut really small. And, and uh, I don't know, it just seems like uh, my, I'm getting more out of my practice. And, you know, I feel like I'm a little more hungry again. And um, I don't know, it just, um, it's just kind of all coming together. I don't really know how to explain it, but, uh, you know, I'm not going to argue with it. Let me ask you a little bit about those four-and-a-quarter-inch pockets. Mm-hmm. If that's so tight, doesn't that eliminate your ability to practice some of the strategy of the game, like cheating the pocket? Well, you know, um, I agree with you in a, in a sense, but me personally, um, you know, I don't practice well. I mean, I don't run out real well on the table, so, you know, as nobody really would. But it seems like whenever I get to a tournament, it seems like the pockets seem a lot easier for me, no matter where I go. So it just, uh, I don't know, it just, um, it has its, you know, it has its ups and downs, I guess, practicing on a real small pocket table, but uh, I don't know, it just um, seemed like my concentration's better when I get to a tournament, because I guess I've been really having to concentrate on my tight table, and, um, you know, when I get to a tournament, I just, I don't know, I feel a little more, I don't know, I feel a little more looser, a little more relaxed, um, because the pockets always seem a little, a lot easier whenever I get there. I can't imagine that it uh, hurt you at all playing there on that triple-shimmed number one table at Colby's over the weekend. Well, I tell you what, it just—I felt so much at home whenever I got there, and I seen that table, and I said, you know what? If I can stay in the winter side, um, they probably will put me on this table a lot because I just done an exhibition there about a month and a half ago. So uh, you know, a lot of people there like me. So the, they'll be wanting to see me play on that first table, and and uh, and I got the luck. Have it. I only played two of my matches not on that table, so I was able to play just about every match on that table, and and I felt really at home because you know I won I won our our stop at our place, uh, the Greater Southern Beer Tour the weekend before. You know we had uh, Kim and you know Kim and I put one one of the tournaments on at our place. And I and I actually had a little gambling session on the four and a quarter inch pockets at our place, uh, a gold crown that was there. Um, so I played for about ten hours on that table, and I don't know when I got there, it just kind of they it just seemed real familiar. And uh, you know I know a lot of the other guys hadn't been playing on tables that tight, 
and pockets that small. So I had to have a little advantage. When did you find out that that tournament had been moved from the Sheraton to Colby's? Um, the day before, the, on Wednesday. The day before it started, the day of the, uh, I guess, no, I'm sorry, it will be on, on the Tuesday, day before the players' meeting. Um, I was there uh, in town a little early doing a pool school with Earl. And, um, you know, and then I was actually called by the guy I was that put on the pool school, and I was with him when Chuck called him. And I found it out that Tuesday. Um, so, you know, it kind of worked out for me, for sure. Well, I was going to say, it seems we understand that upset some of the players, but it must not have upset you at all. Well, you know, I've always been a big fan of gold crowns. Uh, I've been a big fan of, I think, their tables, if you get the pockets cut right, I think they play really, really well. And, you know, when I knew that, that they have four or five of tables in there that's really tight, and myself, you know, um, you know, and then the hotel is right there in the parking lot, so me personally, I thought that it, it was going to uh, work out well when I heard it. Um, well, I know I'm sure a lot of the players didn't really like it because they were, you know, ready for a hotel tournament, and you know uh, they hadn't played in the pool that pool room like I have. Um, you mentioned the Great Southern Billiard Tour stop at your room, and we uh-huh. talked to you oh six eight months ago about the room. How's the room going? Well, you know, uh, we, considering the economy, uh, you know, I think it's doing pretty well. Um, you know, it's 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 not doing fantastic as I don't think any business is right now. Um, but you know, uh, we we know other places that are closing down, so we're not having to close down. So, uh, so Kim's doing something right there. Have you uh, come across any surprises that you weren't expecting in being a half of a room owner? Oh yeah, there's always some surprises coming in here and there. Uh, but Kim's doing. Uh, he's let me take a little moment here. He's doing a great job. Uh, I actually, I don't get a chance to thank him enough, um, and I probably take him for granted a little more than I should. Um, but, you know, he's doing a great job being thrown in the lion's pit like like we thrown him in there um, with that place. Um, I think he's just doing a wonderful job. Um, I know he's he's got his own family, and it's uh, he's had to really put it, his family life on hold uh, for that place and us and, of course, himself, too. But, um, you know, I, I know I, I wouldn't be able to do it, you know, myself. So, you know, my hat's off to him. Well, you already mentioned that you uh, taught a pool school out in Phoenix where you teamed up with Earl Strickland to teach a bunch of students. We had some members of our forum come on, and they gave you great praise for your teaching ability. Do you enjoy teaching? You know, I do. Um, you know, I don't teach enough. I really don't, just because I guess I'm just not, I don't think I'm really ready to devote the time that I should um, if I talk more. I think I do a good job. I, you know, I, I get animated and, and I get really into it, you know, which I think the students love. Um, but, you know, I would probably, myself, I think I could learn a lot more uh, of how to teach I think if I went to uh, to a uh, instructor myself on actually, you know, uh, different levels of how to teach, you know, I think I could do better. But you know, I teach so much by feel, and you know, I, I basically uh, get the student and I see you know how they play, and I think about it for a little bit, and then I kind of start from there, you know, on what level they're on. 
So probably if I went to an instructor and actually, you know, get them to show me, you know, different levels of, you know, uh, of how to teach and how to start and then how to finish, you know, I think I could probably do better. But uh, I don't, I'm just not really ready yet to, you know, uh, to to make that a, a full-time thing yet. Um, you know, I'm still trying to win and play myself. Well, one of the comments was that you and Earl have such different playing styles mm -hmm. that your teaching style was different as well. In fact, one of the fellows said that Earl said you should use English on every shot, whereas you said, no, speed control can often get you there just as well and a bit more predictably. Um, did you have any problems teaching alongside a man whose playing style is so different from your own? You know, it, it was different. Um, because I guess the way we did it was uh, we, we had an even number of students. So what we did was he took half and taught for the first couple hours, and then we switched up for the last couple hours. And, uh, you, know, I, we, we, uh, you know, I taught the half that he taught to start with. And, you know, a couple bridges that, that he was trying to show them, you know, my opinion was, uh, was a little bit harder for them to, to do and, and execute. And, um, you know, it's just we had a little different styles. Um, you know, I didn't think anything was wrong with his style. I just, I just taught a little bit different. And, uh, and in a couple cases, you know, they were against, the styles were against each other, you know. So, but you know what? Uh, Earl done a great job. You know, I thought he'd done a great job. Everybody said they really loved it and uh, loved being with him and, and myself. So, uh, you know, it's just different styles. People, I think the, the students got most out of it for sure because, you know, they got two different styles from two top players. So, uh, you know, and and they played pretty well, the students did. So they soaked all of it in, and, I, I you know, I, they definitely benefited the most, that's for sure. While congratulations are in order for um, the, the wins so far this year, if we go back a little bit further, maybe a month past the beginning of the year, it wasn't all... Uh, these trips to the to the winner's circle, uh, right. most notably the trip to Vegas uh, right. and uh -huh. Moscone Cup. Um, now, Jerry and I were both there, and you guys came out to a huge lead right off the bat. And right, right. then things kind of didn't go your way. Um, can you talk a little bit about that event, where you think maybe it went wrong, uh, what you guys can do late this year to, to correct that? Well, I tell you, the first thing we done is, uh, as a team, we played horrible. As a team, uh, we just—I mean, I played horrible. I did not play well at all. Um, I take, you know, I take whatever responsibility I can, you know, uh, in in the loss. Um, and I thought, as a team, none of us really played well. Um, I guess if anybody played okay, um, maybe Earl played okay, um, but nobody really played well, and. We definitely didn't play well as a team. Uh, we didn't mix it well. And uh, if I make the team again this year, I'm going to really look to, to do some different things. I've already got some plans, uh, some ideas myself. Um, so I, I, would like to, I would like to see the team uh, do a few different things together um, to help each other, to help each other uh, play better. Because I, from what I, way I felt is everybody had so much pressure on them for whatever reason, and, you know, and, and nobody played well under the pressure, you know. Uh, so, you know, we're just going to have to, we're going to have to uh, approach it a little bit differently because, you know, the, the your, my opinion was 
to start with, um, we had the best team we've ever had, playing-wise, I thought, you know, going into that Moscone Cup. And I thought that their team um, might have been maybe in the top five, maybe the top ten of the best teams they've had on paper. You know, so my opinion was I thought that we that we were definitely the, the, the landslide favorites, but they just played so much better as a team than we did. Um, you know, they played wonderful. Uh, they mixed it well together, and we didn't. That's just what it come down to. So, you know, we're going to have to do some, some things differently uh, for us to win that cup this year. Well, I, I hate to keep beating a dead horse, but you and I have been to a lot of Moscone Cups together. Uh-huh. And I have seen the American team fall behind in the past and then rally on the last right, day right. and a half to just swamp the Europeans. Right. And this year, I, I didn't feel the energy coming out of the American team, and I don't right. know why. Do you? I really don't either. Um, I, You know, I just think, again, I just think that, that, you know, for whatever reason, we all had had put some extra pressure on ourselves. Uh, maybe it was because, uh, you know, we thought we were big favorites, maybe. I don't know what the reason was. Um, but, you know, I just know as a team, as a whole, you know, we did not mix it well together. And it showed in our doubles play. You know, it definitely showed in our singles. And, you know, if I'm a part of the team this year, I would definitely, uh, you know, I would suggest definitely us trying some different things, trying some, uh, you know, some, some uh, just being together more as a team. And, you know, I think we'll get that energy back again. And us being in your call uh, coming up this year, uh, in 08, I think us being in your call, I think that'll bring a lot back to us because, you know, I, of course the uh, the fan support's not going to be on our side, as we all know, um, and it just seems like uh, your call has is, is got a lot of energy already, and we feed off of their energy, I think. Pool is such a, or, or billiards is such a solitary game. I mean, when you go out there and play, the vast majority of the time you're playing for yourself and your family, and that's pretty mm-hmm. much it. Pretty much, uh-huh. Most guys are never going to experience what it's like to have a team counting on them, let alone an entire country. I mean, what's that like playing an event like that, and you've played in it so many years? Well, it's nerve-wracking, that's for sure. Um, you feel the heat. I mean, you feel the pressure when, you, when you're on the Moscone Cup team. Um, you know, I've been on it, what, 11, 12 times now, and I feel it every year. Um, it doesn't go away, and no matter how many times now I've learned to cope with it, I thought, you know, a little better. Um, but, you know, it's it's really great, too, you know, on top of it. It's, it's an experience that, if as an American player growing up, um, I would suggest, you know, if, if the player can get on in any way, shape, or form, you know, try to get on because it's an experience he'll never forget, uh, you know, as long as he lives no matter how many tournaments he wins or, or titles or whatever. You know, so it, it's a great feeling, and, you know, I'm definitely looking forward to trying to make the team again. Well, I'd like to go back to, uh, you know, regular tournaments where you're competing for yourself. Um, Jerry and I have discussed in 
previous shows that sometimes when you play in a pro event, whether it be a regional tour or a UPA stop or, or whichever, it seems like sometimes you come out a little flat and maybe your opponent tests you early on in the tournament. You may lose that match. You may win it by a small amount. But after that, you seem to come on like gangbusters and you just roll through opponents. Right. Do, you, do you notice yourself doing that? Well, you know what? Um, I think this year um, that has changed a little bit. It seems like the start of the tournament I'm playing seems like I'm not coming out as flat, as I, but I know I used to. Yeah, but just because, you know, kind of getting in, you know, I seem like I'm always more nervous uh, and more uptight probably my first, second match of the tournament than definitely I am at the end. Um, it just seems like, you know, I, I mean, because I, I, mean, I always look and I'd love to have an easy draw to start with so I can kind of get a little comfortable and get to playing, um, you know, uh, and have a couple matches under my belt. But it just seems like this year, it seems like I have um, been a lot more focused to start at the tournament than I have in the past. And I think maybe that's from practicing a little more, maybe that's uh, getting a little, maybe getting a little older, um, a little more mature, I guess. I don't know what how to how to explain it, but uh, I know I'm, I can feel myself changing a little bit. Johnny, you are due for another world championship. Mm, boy, I like the sound of that one. I think so. As you know, you know that's my first. This last weekend was my first ten ball tournament I've ever won. Well, there's a world ten ball event coming up in Manila, and then the world nine ball we understand is going to be in Jakarta. Do you have plans to go to both? So the world, the uh, the the uh, matchroom world nine ball, the regular W. I mean, is it? Um, that's yeah, going to Jakarta this year. That is the ninety percent odds are it's going to be in Jakarta. Yeah. Now, where is Jakarta at? Indonesia. Indonesia. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Long, well, yeah, I'm long definitely plane ride. <laughs> long. Well, uh, they all are, but uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I'm. Um, you know, I'm looking to go to. You know. All major events, um, because I know, um, you know, by winning one a major event, you know, you get all the invitations to everything and and uh, couple and chances for you know sponsors after that. So, yeah, um, and then not not the case of the first prize money uh, more than anything else too. But uh, yeah. the the ten ball now that that's in the Philippines. Yes, that'll be in Manila. That'll be that's in Manila. Be and, back, that's going to be back at that. Uh, that that first venue that they had the nine ball Damn. event in two years ago. Okay, so uh, what what month is that going to be in? Oh boy, Mike, help me out. Is it October? In October, okay. Yeah. Now uh, I have been contacted by a new Philippine association. They're doing a, a new Philippine tour. Um, mm-hmm. I guess they're having one coming up next week or this week or next week or something. And uh, right. And then they're having another one in June. Um, so I've been contacted by them. Um, and then the, um, what's the, what's the one in Cutter? Is that in, that a nine ball? That's a the nine Cutter ball. Masters or the, that's nine ball? Yes. Now that's not, that's not matchroom. No. That that's not, not matchroom. Okay. That independent promoters. In, in and that's Cutter. just in June too. Yeah. End of June, I think. Yes. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, you know, if everything works out and, you know, financial-wise, 
you know, everything's working out, yeah, I'm looking to go to all of them that I can. Because I, I feel myself, I feel like I'm playing more consistent and probably uh, at a higher level than I have, uh, I feel like, in years uh, this year. So it's, well, it's a lot of fun, I know that. When you go down to play on your New Brunswick table and, and work on your game, Right. What do you work on? What kind of routines do you do, or do you just break and run racks? Be honest with you, all I ever practice downstairs is straight pool. That is really? all I ever practice. I hardly ever practice anything else. Now, unless a friend, you know, Stevie Moore or somebody around town will come over, then we'll play some sets of nine ball or sets of ten ball or something like that. But when I'm practicing by myself, I, all I ever practice is uh, is straight pool. And the reason that I do that is because, to me, it's concentration level that, you know, as long as I'm playing straight pool, I can just keep concentrating because I'm keeping up with the score. But whereas if I'm just throwing balls out, breaking and running out, I'm not really, to me, I'm not really, you know, I don't have anything I'm keeping up with. So, you know, um, so me, I think this practicing the straight pool helps me out mental-wise. Well, you know, I've heard that for years. It's good to hear that from a champion. Uh, Mike, once again, we're at that point where we're about to run out of tape. Did you have another question? Uh, no, I'm, I think I'm good. All well, right. I'll tell you one thing I'd like to say is I, I want to say one thing about uh, my boy, Lee. Mel Melanie said um, Sunday night before I got ready to play in the finals, back Eastern time, they were getting ready to go to bed. And she said he said his prayer before bed, and he asked God to, to please let Daddy win the pool tournament. So uh, so I don't know if that had anything to do with it, but it sure didn't help. I mean, sure didn't hurt. I'm sorry. So anyway, uh, I just wanted to say that. My family definitely has been supportive of me this year, and, and uh, just to be able to, to win a, a big tournament like that and, and do it, by playing well on top of it. I really played well in the finals by beating Mika twice, and, and I hadn't, I don't know if I beat him a set in, in a long time. It's been, I only know when the last time I beat him a set, then I had to beat him twice in the finals. So, um, for personal wise, that was a big, big thrill of victory for me. Well, Johnny, congratulations to you, buddy. We couldn't be happier than to see you having a great year. You're certainly one of the grand men of the game, and we really do appreciate the time you spent with us today, and we hope to be around you again soon when you're back on the green felt. Well, you know what? I'd like to say uh, thanks to all you guys, and, and really thank you so much to Kathy and, and Eric out at Q-Sticks for Scorpion Qs. They have stuck by me this year. They've stuck by me when I had a really poor year last year. They have just stuck by me uh, 100%. And I owe a lot to them, and I just like to say thank you to them when I got a ch when I get a chance. Well, thanks to them, and thanks to you. And Johnny, you have a good evening, and we'll see you again soon. Thank you, Jerry. You guys have a good day. Well, it's always good to hear from Johnny Archer. Uh, obviously, with the year he's having, uh, he's another player in great spirits, and uh, look looking forward to him continuing a very very powerful year. Yeah, you know, we talked to Johnny all the way back on the first show that we ever did. And at that time, he was thinking about the recession and how pool had kind of eased off and some sponsors had had to, for various reasons, uh, step away from their relationships with him. And 
you know, some guys would have taken that as a, as a huge negative and just sat around the house and, and been depressed about it. But what it appears to have done is it appears to have made Johnny hungry and he's, he's got his table, he's practicing and, and I think as if it were bad enough for other players to get into a tournament and have to face Johnny Archer, now they have to face a hungry Johnny Archer, and that's a whole lot tougher. Yeah, a hungry Johnny Archer who's practicing on his game hard. Ooh, keep me away from that. Mike, I think that just about wraps us up for this week, and we would like to thank everyone for listening. Uh, we'll be back with another Runout Radio just as soon as we come up with something to talk about.